Non and never smokers represent a growing share of lung cancer patients. And later this year, Massachusetts General Hospital will launch a clinical trial using an artificial intelligence tool to try to predict patients' lung cancer risk. The AI system is unique in that it predicts someone's risk over six years by evaluating a single CT scan without additional medical or demographic data. The goal is to identify people as candidates for regular screenings in hopes of catching tumors earlier. But a key question is whether the AI tool can maintain its accuracy among racially diverse populations and non-smokers. This is Pulse Check. I'm Lauren Gardner. Telehealth availability expanded access to care for opioid use disorder, which is why federal agencies allowed more virtual care when the COVID-19 pandemic made in-person visits risky. But according to a new study published Tuesday, there's no evidence that telemedicine actually expands access to drug therapy, undermining a key argument for permitting continued virtual prescribing of the drugs once a pandemic emergency waiver ends. A lack of broadband internet service in lower-income and rural areas could explain the findings, though the study examined only patients with private insurance, a group more likely to have good internet service than those in safety net programs like Medicaid. Ten international health organizations are urging the European Medicines Agency to advise the EU to declare a shortage of antibiotics a major event, a designation that could trigger actions by the bloc to better manage bottlenecks. Shortages of amoxicillin, including pediatric formulations, have been reported across the EU since October. Alternative antibiotics can be used in most cases, but the persistent shortages still affect patient care. For example, Romanian parents have been told to crush adult amoxicillin tablets to give to their kids, which increases the risk of incorrect dosing, side effects, and antimicrobial resistance. And Alice Miranda Olstein is here to talk about why abortion opponents are pushing back on Republicans in conservative states. Hey, Alice, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Always glad to talk. So lawmakers in a lot of red states are now revisiting the near total abortion bans that they implemented last year, looking at either adding or expanding exemptions for cases of rape, incest, medical emergencies, issues like that. But they're facing blowback from anti-abortion activists as they try to do so. What's the story here? Yeah. So a lot of these bans that went into effect last year, some of them were drafted decades, if not centuries before last year. And so they sort of were written in a theoretical environment and just banned abortion across the board. And now that these lawmakers have seen them go into effect and seen the real world impacts, and seen the political repercussions for themselves, they're saying, wait, 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 maybe we need to go back and make some changes here with that in mind. And so you have a lot of Republicans in different states pushing bills that would add or tweak the current exemptions in their laws. And these are sort of in two different buckets. You have the medical exemptions. So that's Anywhere from an exemption for someone who has a life-endangering medical complication with their pregnancy and needs an abortion for that reason. But also you have language in some states that say just a threat to the health of the parent, not 
necessarily their life is sufficient. Mm. You have a lot of pressure, including from doctors in these states, for lawmakers to clarify, expand, change the language here because they say that they're afraid to perform abortions even in these medical emergency situations. They are not clear on when they would face legal peril for doing so. And then separately from that, you have an effort in some states to add rape and incest exemptions to the abortion bans. And like you mentioned, especially on that front, Republican lawmakers are getting a lot of pushback from the anti-abortion groups that are usually allied with them. And the anti-abortion groups, some of them say they don't support rape and incest exemptions because they they don't want to punish the child for the sins of the parent. They believe that no matter how a child is conceived, they need to be protected. But a lot of Republicans say that that would be really horrible for the parent who is forced to continue that pregnancy. And they also are looking at polling showing widespread support for rape and incest exemptions. And so you have a really interesting heated debate going on right now in a lot of different states. You talked a little bit about what the medical community has been asking for with respect to the states where they're wading into this fight. Can you back up a little bit for listeners and describe a little bit you know, what are some of the situations in which the life of the birthing parent would be at risk? And what might be some scenarios where abortion care might be discussed, but in a state with strict limits on abortion, where that might not be able to be a conversation to be had? I mean, this is what they're grappling with right now on where exactly to draw that line. And so you have, you know, states, including a few last year that held special sessions after Roe versus Wade was overturned and they were unable to come to an agreement or or they were ultimately, but they really struggled over this question of exemptions. I'm thinking about states like Indiana and South Carolina that debated this last year, but really had a hard time coming together, particularly on the exemptions. One issue they're debating is whether, you know, mental health considerations, you know, Mm. severe mental health should be taken into effect, should count for someone being eligible for an exemption. They're debating, you know, how sick a patient has to get. You know, we've seen a lot of instances around the country of people who have needed an abortion and gone to their medical provider and were turned away and asked to come back later when they were in more dire straits because the provider was so afraid of being charged with a felony that they wanted to, you know, make it absolutely sure that it would qualify. And a lot of this even comes up in situations where a pregnancy is not viable in the first place, like an ectopic pregnancy where It's implanted outside the uterus. That would never lead to the live birth of a child. Anyways, it's a medical condition that has to be dealt with through an abortion. And yet, even in those circumstances, uh, doctors have been hesitant. A lot of medical groups and individual doctors are lobbying lawmakers right now to make these changes. What's hard is how to craft it. They say if it's too vague, if it's too like broad, just saying like medical emergencies or health and life of the parent, if it's too vague, they won't really be confident of when they can act and when they can't. But if it's too specific, if it lists like every condition or every scenario where an abortion would be allowed, then if some other medical situation comes up that's not on that list, and, you know, they can't anticipate everything, mm-hmm. then it would, you know, their hands would be tied in a certain sense. And so this this is something they're really having a hard time with right now. 
So where do Democrats and progressive activists fall uh, with respect to these exemptions that are being debated in some of these Republican states? There's not like a monolithic approach to this, but you have an interesting scenario where people on the far right and the not the far left, but people on the right and left both are against these exemptions, but for totally different reasons. Right. You have people on the right, these anti-abortion activists saying, we don't believe these are necessary. We believe this would allow for too many abortions um, we think people would abuse these exemptions, et cetera. And then you have people on the left saying these exemptions would not actually help people. These are just window dressing to make these abortion bans more politically palatable and get Republicans off the hook and make them look better. And they oppose them for that reason. And so as part of that, they point to the states where they do have exemptions. And that's a lot of actually a lot of states right now. And they say, look, even if the exemption exists on paper, it's so hard to use in practice that it doesn't help a lot, if any people. You know, some of the rape and incest exemptions require the victim to file a report with the police. A lot of people are afraid to do that, you know, especially if it's a friend or family member. Um, you know, a lot of communities are avoid contact with law enforcement, such as undocumented people, other marginalized groups. And so in order to claim any of these exemptions, including the health one, you know, the person has to jump through a lot of hoops and sometimes it's it's just not possible. And so you have some Democratic lawmakers who say, look, we're for anything that could help someone. You know, if we can't repeal these abortion bans, we want to make them a little more humane. But then you have some of the advocacy groups who say this is just letting Republicans off the hook for their unpopular bans. So which red states seem most likely to pass some sort of exemption? It's unclear what could happen. I mentioned last year some of the states took up this issue and were unable to come to an agreement. But we are watching uh, Utah. We are watching Tennessee. We're watching Wisconsin. Even Texas, this has been proposed, but is a lot less likely in Texas to add exemptions, I mean. This is really happening in a lot of different places. And, you know, state legislatures just came back into session this month, some of them for the first time since Roe versus Wade was overturned. And so you're just starting to see these debates kick off and we'll be watching it closely. Well, thanks so much, Alice, for walking through that with us. Great to talk to you. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah and Annie Reese are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Lauren Gardner. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse. Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.